we are in a space that is changing uh, the way money is moved across the globe. You mentioned Formula One or maybe UFC and, and recently FIFA, you know, all are great partners, it's great brand. Um, so the association is important. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast. And today we're talking all things crypto. Our guest is Eric Anziani. He's the COO of Crypto.com the world's fastest growing crypto app. Now, the reason I've got him on the show today is that I believe we all need to understand the crypto space better. We all need to understand not only the coins, but we need to understand NFTs too. And Eric is the man to tell us all about that, but also this massive success this organization's had. If you haven't heard of them, you must be sleeping under a rock right now because they're sponsoring Formula One, UFC, the World Cup, the Staples Arena in the States has been changed to the Crypto.com Arena. They really are out there trying to get their name into your head. So let's get on, cue the music and get stuck into this phenomenal interview. Food security is a problem. We have an ever-expanding population in this world, but we don't have enough fields and farmers to be able to grow the crops so that we can all enjoy a sustainable life. Smartcasts are at the forefront of that. They believe in smart farming, and what they're doing by creating facilities around the world is to create pesticide and GMO-free vegetables, salads, fruits, everything that's grown in a sustainable way that will help us feed everybody in the future. And that's really important. And that's why I'm delighted that they decided to sponsor this podcast. So go give them a follow at Smartcast Tech on Instagram. So that's S-M-A-R-T-K-A-S-T-E-C-H. Go look them up, give them a follow, look at what they're doing, look at the difference they're making, because I'm pretty sure, just like me, you'll be interested and also benefit from what they do. Arabian Business is the leading source of business news and analysis, and I, for one, get my information from there when I'm doing my research on the podcast for guests, but also knowing what's going on in the region so that I can keep my finger on the pulse. And if you want a 25% discount on the subscription, then go to arabianbusiness.com, okay, with a discount code ABEXEC, that's A-B-E-X-E-C. Do it right now, get that discount, and guess what? You can get access to all the information that I do and keep your finger on the pulse of all business news here in the region. Najahi have been a sponsor of our podcast now since the very beginning. They're an events company that bring people like Tony Robbins, uh, Nick Vujicic, um, Grant Cardone, all of these big names, Gary Vaynerchuk here into the UAE so they can inspire and educate us to be better in our lives and our professions too. So a massive thank you to Najahi for being a sponsor of the show. So Eric, thank you so much for coming to join us today. It's great to get a chance to talk to you and learn a bit more about crypto.com. But before I do that, I want to know a little bit about you. Do you do you remember where you were when you first heard about this whole crypto thing? You know, was it something that you heard about and you went, hmm, there's something to this? Or were you one of the, the cynics at the very beginning? What was it like for you? I actually, I was probably on the latter side. Uh, it was roughly around 2014. I was at PayPal at the time and I was joining some startup boot camps. Some very young startup was pitching about blockchain and it felt well, this stuff, well, it's very complex. It will take 15, 20 years before it takes off. And I kind of parked it there. But in late 2016, early 2017, I saw uh, the rise uh, 
of Bitcoin and Ethereum in particular. And I thought, oh, there's something going on. I think I missed it. Let me deep dive into it and start reading about it, investing in it and, and just learning. Then coming from that kind of that fintech space, arguably you, you're somebody that would have had a, an understanding about where you know, the future of finance was moving. So was that where, where it was prompted from? Or was it literally you reading articles or seeing something that somebody was talking about in a restaurant or a bar? How, how, how was that moment for you? Yeah, I think it was reading the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, that was for me the moment of revelation. 10 pages, so a little bit long, but still digestible. And the technology was fascinating, but more importantly was the game theory. How this whole stuff works, how bad actors are not coming and preventing transactions to go through how it can all work in a decentralized way without any trusted party. And that game theory that makes it work was fascinating to me. Uh, and I said, I, I need to learn more, I need to experiment, I need to understand how it works. And, and you opened up an account and invested some money many years ago, a small amount to try it out. Is that what you did? Definitely. Uh, and I, I tried to join communities. There was project forming, especially in the Ethereum space, where applications could be built. If you, if you look at Bitcoin, it's really the value layer on top of the internet. When the internet was created, you had this sharing of information. When Bitcoin was created, it's really the sharing of value, leveraging the internet. And then when Ethereum launched, it was creating the application layer that used that value on the internet. And then it opened up so many opportunities from there. I met a guy called Meta Coven, mm. who is the guy that spent the $69 million on yes. peoples. And I asked him, why did you get interested in it? What was your, the, the interest for you? He said, I heard about it and everyone was laughing at it, saying that will never take off. And he said, as I realized people were laughing, I thought there's got to be something in it. And that's how he started mm. his journey. Interesting. And, and it's, it's interesting to me because I was one of the people laughing. I, at the beginning of that experience, it was that, oh, that's a load of nonsense, that will never happen. So to see him. And then also, I also spoke to the founder of Ethereum, mm. and he told me how they set up a community, I think it was in Toronto. And in that community, he invited people to come down and talk about what we could do and how we could create something. And he said he invited a bunch of people, but only 20 people showed up. And he said, those 20 people showed up. The next coffee we had a week later, only four people showed up. <laughs> and he said for him, it was just like, yeah, he was like you, doing a deep dive and finding it really fascinating and exciting, but nobody really, really understood what was going on. So you get into the whole crypto space by learning about it yourself. Correct. How does a man like you then evolve into a business like Crypto.com. What happened there? Well, um, when I was deep diving into uh, the, the topic and I was starting to you know, learn a little bit more about it, that was at the time where Chris, our CEO, and Rafa, both our co-founders, uh, came to me and asked me if I was interested to, to join the company. It was very early days. I think they already had like 10, 20 employees, no product yet. And I was like, this is something I'm genuinely passionate about. And there's something emerging there. Let me take on the risk. And of course, it's all about people at the beginning. So you know, I, I really love the interaction I had with Chris and, and Rafa. And I said, let's jump into it and let's try to build from there. So when we look at crypto.com, we've got various competitors in that space. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think I know all of them. I think there are, there are so many coming okay, all the time. How did you, how did you then look at crypto.com and part of that small community and think about the future of that business versus the other companies in the space? 
Yeah, so I think there was a few parameters. Uh, first of all, the team. I come back to that. Um, you know, Chris is a serial entrepreneur. He built four businesses before. Some worked, some didn't work. There was a lot of learnings. And it felt if we had, had to start early, because I worked for many different companies of different scale, this was the right place because a lot of the learnings could be used, for example, building the right culture. You know, doing this right from the onset is critical to ensure you have long-term success in, in, in your business venture. And a few of these items were very critical to make sure we had the right foundation and we had a chance to build something uh, for decades. So that was very important to me. And I love the, the vision and the ambition. When you're at early stage business, things may pivot, you may go into a different direction, but you need people with vision and a clear direction. Um, so I think that was kind of the two main factors. Okay. Now we see um, a lot of talk through social media about inflation being really high in the United States and going up and up and up. I, I think I interviewed Robert Breedlove that said to me, those numbers are much higher in reality to what we're sure. seeing being published, which means that you know, cryptocurrencies become a completely new store of value versus paper money, which can be printed regularly. That to me is really interesting because it seems to be driving people down the path of saying, hey, we've got to get involved. We have to take some of our assets and put them into a place which has you know, a protection against uh, inflation. Years ago, that would have been you know, gold and stuff like that. But now it's you know, all over social media, we hear that it's crypto. But how do people choose the right exchange? How do they, how do they find the right place to go to? Obviously, there are many out there, but you know, I look at crypto.com and it sits very comfortably with my mindset because that brand is everywhere for me. But how does somebody go about choosing the right exchange to use? Well, there's a few things that you need to look out for. Um, I think the branding is one element, but it also matters which partners you're working with, whether they are reputable partners. And we've been working from our early days with Visa, for example, as our main partner. Our first product was a Visa card in Singapore. And then we grew it into a global business. Um, you mentioned Formula One or maybe UFC and, and recently FIFA. You know, all are great partners, it's great brand. Um, so the association is important. Second, I would say it's important to see how, what's the investment made into compliance and security. So whether these businesses are licensed, whether they invest in getting the right certification, cybersecurity, data privacy, or business resilience. Those are information readily available. Um, and then there's also the track record um, of their interaction with stakeholders globally, whether they're government, regulators, and others, as uh, throughout their history. I think those are indicators uh, that uh, the, the business and the company is solid. If someone is also promising you 10x returns or you know, huge uh, reward, etc., you have to be careful and you need to make sure you know, what is being proposed is sustainable. It's an interesting answer to that question. It leads me on to understanding more about the regulatory side mm. of, of the future, because we, we have regulation in all financial services, but limited regulation currently in, in the crypto space. Is regulation coming? And if it does come, how is it going to come? And how is it going to benefit investors, but also um, give peace of mind to investors as well, that that's the right direction to head? Because I've heard some naysayers say to me, regulation's going to be the end of everything, you know? I know I'm no expert on that, so maybe you could give me some, some information sure. here. Well, I have to say regulation is already there um, in most of the mature markets. Um, and for us, we knew it was going to happen. So from the onset, we built that foundation 
of compliance and security. And it came at a cost um, compared to some of our peers in the industry. We couldn't grow as fast because there was friction when we were asking customers um, you know, their KYC information or monitoring transactions to make sure uh, you know, we had proper AML policies in place, etc. But we felt as we were building that bridge between the traditional world and the digital world, we had to put this in place to ensure we could grow the business sustainably. And we really wanted to be that bridge. So for us, we knew it was going to happen, we prepared for it, and we acquired licenses in the US, uh, in Europe, in Asia, across the globe. And so we have about 500 people today on compliance only, uh, focused on onboarding hold on, customers. Hold on, so you've got 500 people on compliance only? That is correct. Wow. It's huge. It's huge. And it's, of course, making sure our operation runs smoothly. We onboard, you know, onboarded tens of millions of customers, making sure so we control regularly. Um, applying for licenses, maintaining our uh, licensing obligations um, that, that are required in each different market, and today more being proactive and working with regulators and government stakeholders to shape uh, the agenda and how policies can be made to support the ecosystem. So a little bit more of a proactive approach. Yeah. I know you might have a corporate answer for this, but I'd like to get a real answer for this. Sure, sure. We, we see a lot of time um, politicians, um, authorities uh, interviewing people that are involved. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's interview was a great one for me, you know, um, when they were trying to ask him about location and privacy and stuff like that. And I've seen various interviews where it appears that the, the authorities don't always know as much as maybe they should know. In your experience of working with regulators, do they have their finger on the pulse as much as you think they should do? Or are you spending time trying to educate and help them understand it too? Well, I have to say, in general, in the world, we're still so early in this space yeah. that we're all learning. I'm learning every day. So you can imagine regulators that have just set up a new infrastructure or a new framework for crypto are also learning. Uh, and we need to spend, an, as an industry, a lot of time in education. There's no doubt about it. And there's so much interest also that most of the regulators get overloaded with application to, to be licensed and, to, and queries. So it's also pretty hard on their side to cope with the load and at the same time learn. So it, it is a journey. Um, and you can see different regulators have taken different approaches. Some have felt safer to use the traditional framework and try to put crypto inside. Um, some have created completely new framework. So the old framework will be kind of the US at this stage. New framework will be, for example, Singapore or what Dubai is trying to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, in between will be Europe with Mika, with a bit of the old, a bit of the new. Uh, and they're all trying to figure out what's the right recipe to manage that. My view is creating new framework is probably the right way to go. This technology is very different. It moves at a very different pace uh, and it does need some new rules. When we look at Dubai and compare Dubai to um, some traditional cities around the world, I, I've noticed that Dubai seems to be really hungry okay, for welcoming uh, all things crypto in, in, into, into this wonderful city. I see some other cities as well. Singapore seems to have that type of approach as well. Do you think that places like Dubai and Singapore are going to steal a march on other places around the world very quickly and bring more crypto assets their way? I, I think you can see it already. Um, if the regulators and the different stakeholders in the government are have a proactive stance and they are embracing the technology to a certain extent, people are coming. Um, both in Singapore and in Dubai, I see it happening. Uh, 
for Crypto.com. We're investing also in Dubai. We're a founding partner of Investopia. It's a great platform to share knowledge uh, around in fintech and, and crypto. There's, we can see all the people that are coming here, building companies, uh, getting licenses, and trying to create the, the, the next wave of opportunities. It's, you, you can really feel it. Uh, even you know, since I arrived, it's, it's, it's quite, quite impressive. So when you think about that, then what, what this city and what places like Dubai need then is the manpower to be able to deliver upon the ambition of the company. For sure. How easy or hard is it to find really good people in your industry in, 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 in such a fast growing space? Yeah, it's a, it's a war on talent, <laughs> a bit original there. But if we look at our journey, for example, um, beginning of last year, we had 800 people in our company. Today, I think we need to check with, my, with George and the, the PR team, but we're almost, almost about 4,000 people uh, wow. in the pace of one year. Still, we feel we're growing too slowly and it's extremely hard to get the right people in. So it's, it's really a continuous battle and you need to equip yourself to go out and find the best talent, train them also, because not everything is available, especially on new technology like coding, smart contracts and all yeah. this stuff. The, the talent pool is extremely small. So you need to think through how you build that um, know-how, even if people don't have it. And then brand is critical. Uh, I think one of the biggest benefits we saw through our brand exercise that we started last year is the impact on recruitment. Uh, it drives very high caliber uh, people into the company. Uh, so that, that's really helpful. So if there's any recruiters right now that are sitting listening or watching this podcast, they'll, they'll be sitting there going, I've got to get in touch with HR yeah, at crypto.com. Sure. <laughs> that's, 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 that's dramatic. That growth in manpower alone, just managing that manpower must be a, 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 a goliath of a task. Yeah, that, that's why we haven't been traveling so much, but uh, I'm very glad I'm, I'm here in Dubai now and we're starting also to reconnect and visit our offices and connect with people because I'm not only crypto.com, a lot of companies out uh, in the world have faced the COVID uh, pandemic and the remote working. And you can imagine onboarding um, new employees in that environment is very challenging. Mm. Uh, so how to maintain the culture, how to organize yourself still for speed in the crypto space that we're in, it's, it's a constant challenge. We spend a lot of time in just thinking how to grow the organization and continue to deliver value for our customers. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the, the boss of Goldman Sachs said a few weeks back, you know, we're a business that runs with people in the office. And so everyone's got to come back to work and be in the office because that's how we run. And so if you're not in by this date, then you know, we're going to have a bit of a, a fallout. He asked everybody to come back to work, yet when he did, 50% came and 50% didn't. Do you believe in your business that people working from an office and in offices is really important through the growth phase you're going through now? Or is managing teams effective remotely? Things have changed. Um, my answer would have been probably different two years ago than it is now. I think it's a, it's a new normal we're entering into and it's going to be mixed. And it's going to be mixed by region, country, by teams, uh, whether you're engineering team, product team, or marketing team, there will be nuances, and it's going to be a hybrid model. I do feel it's important to be able to go to the office, meet people, especially for brainstorming and creating connectivity just beyond you know, transactional actions. 
it, it's it's critical. And you know, going back to the office was phenomenal. You know, so it was weird at the same time, but it's so important. Um, that being said, we'll not do something like uh, Goldman Sachs did with you know, forcing people to go back. I think it's good to have a balance. We do want to encourage, especially for the new joiners, to, to connect, to meet people, to build these relationships. When you've been in the company for a while and you already have some of these connections, it's a little bit easier to navigate remotely. It's not perfect, but it's a little bit easier. So we have to think of all the new employees that are coming in. How do we connect with them? How do we build personal relationship? How do we transmit our, our culture, our values? By Zoom, it's, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And you must be employing people from all over the world, lots of different nationalities, lots of different backgrounds. With hub, where have you got your hub offices around the world? So obviously there's one, one coming here. There is, yes, very soon. Uh -huh. uh, and of course, Singapore is our headquarters. Uh, and we have about 10 plus offices across the globe, whether in US and in Latin America, uh, in Africa, in Europe, in many places. Um, and we're continuously building those uh, local offices because also of our licensing obligations. You need to have hearts and mind in the country where you get uh, licenses and you need to have the people the, on compliance and the GMs and everybody to ensure that we can abide by these uh, regulations. So mm -hmm. that's also quite important. How many clients do you have now? Uh, we have more than 10 million customers globally. Whoa. <laughs> that was, that How long was, has it taken to get 10 million customers? We announced that in, in February last year. So that, that was our last public number. So you can imagine from there, we've grown a little bit. Um, but yes, there was the zero to, to one million was, was a huge milestone, then one to five, five to 10, and 10 to where we are today. And so what, what year did the company start? Uh, our first product came to market, uh, it was in May 2018. So the That's nothing. <laughs> I mean, that must blow your, your mind, you know, even though you're in there. I mean, you, you, they're just phenomenal numbers. It, it's incredible. Uh, and it, it's very interesting in our, our culture. We very focused on how to improve and how to do the next th thing. So sometimes we don't realize how fast we have grown. And those milestones are so critical. They were like, okay, well, you've got to one. How do we go to three? Then how do we go to five? Now, our target for ne next year is, is 100 million customers. And we are on our way there. And then we're like, okay, this target, we're probably going to meet that. So what's the next one? And we always push ourselves to, to go to the next big um, you know, change for you know, customers, value proposition, or what we can offer. So sometimes we don't spend the time to realize those muscles are, are being hit. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember spending time interviewing anyone over the last three and a half years that had an ambition to go from 10 million to 100 million in that shorter period of time. The vision that must be coming from you guys at the top of this business is just, it's just incredible. Yeah, you, you have to be bought. We are in a space that is changing. Uh, the way money is moved across the globe, there are application and opportunities that are being created for brands, for individuals, for creator, for developer, it, it's going to be massive. And you have to aim high so we can grow the pie. We're not in a game of you know, gaining market share here and there. We're here to grow the pie because these opportunities that we're working on, and that's why we have so many people joining uh, us and, and the industry, is massive. It, it is changing our lives. You have a population of seven or something billion people on the planet. When you say 10 million of seven billion, it almost sounds nothing by comparison. But when you Definitely. go from one to 10, it sounds huge. Yeah, that re that really, that's really interesting. Because 
that's just really, really big, you know, a big vision. But that's interesting as well, not trying to take market share, but we're growing the pie. A lot of people don't understand that in business. A lot of people will be fighting for their market share mm -hmm. and not realizing that the market share actually could grow and grow and grow in terms of size of the opportunity. And you, it's exponential for you guys, clearly. Yeah, and look at the industry. I think early last year, overall, we had about 100 million people that were trading crypto, which was pretty good. It moved to 300 million at the end of last year. So 3x growth. So that's kind of the overall pie. But we see it going to 1 billion this year or next year through new applications. So beyond the typical trading, things around gaming, NFTs, or even social network at some point, we'll move it from 300 to a billion to two, three billion. So you have to think about these big use cases that will open up the pie and invest heavily on them. When you, when you consider the future, what's, what's the risk to a business like yours? What, what, what are the dangers? Hmm. Oh, there's, there are many for sure. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a fast-evolving uh, industry um, and very quickly you can become an incumbent and have so many new projects coming in. Uh, although it's only five years that the, the company was, was created, this is something that is super critical to remain relevant and to continue to invest in new initiatives, bold ideas, whether you do it directly or through investment and make sure we can grow together uh, the, the industry. So that part you know, keeping the innovation pace as high as possible is something that's you know, top of mind for us all the time. Regulation is another topic. I think we're kind of becoming more mainstream as an industry, so I have less worry on that in the early days, you know, three, four years ago, is the risk was much higher. Um, that being said, you still need to be quite flexible. Um, some countries are still changing their regulatory framework, so you need to be able to adjust uh, you know, relatively rapidly and build a business that is resilient, you know, even if those changes happen. Some years ago, the crypto space started, and so the Bitcoin thing started. Now it's almost like it's been around a long time for a lot of people. Even people that started to get in in 2017 and 18, it's no longer new. Mm -hmm. Then this wave of NFTs were launched. This non-fungible token, uh, a term nobody had really ever heard of. Most people don't understand non, they understand token, <laughs> but what does fungible mean, you know? What the hell is an NFT? I, and then what we've seen from, from the beginning of that time has been essentially, to, to the layman, a lot of JPEGs. Mm -hmm. A lot of pictures, you know, whether it be apes or whatever it might be, stoner cats and all these kind of stuff. And, and people really don't understand them. But NFTs aren't about art to me. Okay, NFTs are about how you can tokenize business, how you can tokenize industry. You know, I come from uh, a business that has a wealth management part, it has an insurance business, it has an online trading part, it has um, a software business as well. How do I tokenize those businesses for the future? And I think this is, this is, there's a gap in the education right now between people thinking there's kind of fast money opportunities in the NFT space relating to art mm -hmm. and then utility within business. Can you teach me a bit about that right now and give me a better understanding? Because I know a lot of the audience that listen and watch, they will want to know how NFTs can help their company in the future. I would say still, when you go back at the root, an NFT is just digital ownership. Uh, of an asset. So you have a, a painting there, this is, you own it, you have physical ownership, you have a representation of that painting being a JPEG or a video or else, it, it's on the blockchain, it's a digital representation of that asset. And you know where it comes from, you know which creator, 
and there's no way to counterfeit it. So that in itself has extreme value for anyone. It's the same concept as the physical world. When you know where that piece comes from, it is legitimate, you know the creator or the brand that has issued it, it has value. Of course, anyone can copy it. You can also do a copy-paste on your JPEG, but you're not gonna be having that image or that painting coming from the creator. And the fact that it is authenticated, it has true ownership, means it has value for people. So I think that's the, the base. It's like in the physical world, it's just a representation of your ownership in the digital world with a proof of where it comes from. That, that's fundamental. I think for me, NFT are at this stage a lot about communities. Um, I think tokenization of business will come, but I think we're not, not there yet. It's really creating across the globe these communities that are building an ecosystem, uh, whether it's games, whether it's um, uh, land, whether it's um, other type of, of um, advantages or benefits within themselves. They're just getting together and building on this primitive that is a PFP avatar or, or a series of NFTs. So for me, this is that, that first layer is the community aspect of it, which I find is a little bit what we had in the early days of crypto, when those communities, sometimes reducing its size, as you mentioned, uh, were, were emerging. And we're seeing that with NFT, and it can connect people across the globe, which is fascinating. The second one, I would say, is more about the ability to share the value of whatever that NFT represents. It can be art, it can be access to a community, it can be music, it can be tokenization of a business. But the fact that you can sell it everywhere in the world, it's liquid. Uh, you don't need to ship it uh, to New York and pay through customs and all this stuff. And that the creator can get royalty out of it through the life cycle and all the resale of that piece that everybody in, the, in that value chain is benefiting uh, from that exchange that is happening. That liquidity and the fact that the value is shared throughout that journey, I think is breakthrough. Uh, and that's why I think it's gonna take up a, a, a huge space and it brings so much value. We work with creators sometimes in um, countries where um, lo low-income creators and they, they do amazing work, but they, it's hard for them to distribute their work. And through NFT, they can reach a global audience and they can get royalty throughout. So I think that's fascinating. But as you said, it's just one use case. Uh, there's many more around ticketing, around creating connectivity and experiences built on what you own uh, and around tokenization. When crypto started, it was in this space and, and there was separation. We have open seas that went down the kind of NFT space and crypto.com and others were in the, in the, in the, the coin space, let's mm -hmm. say. You're moving into that space or have moved into that space so we can buy NFTs through crypto.com. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so for us, we uh, were fascinating by what was happening in the NFT space and we wanted to bring a very simple experience, whether you are a buyer or you are a creator. Uh, I don't know if you try to go through some of those um, open sea, non-custodial platform as we call them. If you're a newbie, you have to set up a complex wallet and then transfer some Ethereum there and then- Oh, it's, to easy, it's easier to learn another language. It's super it hard, is. it's super hard. So you're like, this must be a better way. So we, we created the crypto.com NFT platform where you can use your debit credit card, you can use even your crypto, but it's instant. You don't have to pay any gas fee and you can buy NFT straight away and it's yours. So we invested a lot in the kind of user experience and making it easy for anyone to enter the space. Same for creator. How can I 
from my work, um, create an NFT uh, without knowing the technology behind it and, the, and understanding that in depth and being able to distribute it to the tens of millions of customers that, for example, Crypto.com has or even beyond. So that, that we spend a lot of time trying to create these experiences that are so easy for people to whether discover or buy or for creators to mint and distribute. So uh, have you gone for a 360 on this right now? So if we've got, if we've got full circle, if we've got everything covered in the crypto space through crypto.com, or is there anything missing right now that needs to be introduced? What do you think? So interestingly, our NFT platform was a little bit separate. And uh, you know, very recently, we integrated it into our app. So now it's really fully part of the experience for someone that has the crypto.com app. Um, so that, that's big change. And I think it was quite requested by our users. I think gaming is the next wave in terms of use case. And we're starting to make some progress on this through investment. And we're building also infrastructure to support developers. Uh, I think our community hasn't seen too much yet on this, but they will definitely see more in the coming months. Okay, I definitely need to learn a bit about this. Okay, I'm 52 this year. I've never been a gamer, so I've never been in that space. My kids will be screaming at this right now, but I've never been in that space myself. Mm. How, how, how is gaming going to form part of this journey? T t tell me more about that. Interesting part of gaming is it will include both crypto and NFT. So you can think of in the game, uh, when you work and you develop your character, and you can earn some reward, you can buy some, and all these assets can be used and sold outside in an open market. And you can earn tokens as well, and you can sell them against other cryptocurrency. So your whole experience is connected to the blockchain. So you have value created, and you have equipment and pieces as well that has value that can be shared and distributed. It needs to be built from the onset in the games. What we've seen is a lot of the game studios are seeing the trend and trying to put blockchain into a very successful existing games. That doesn't work very well and the community does not react very positively to it because it's already working. You have to think through and design the game with those new economics in place. Um, so it's people go in, they know what they're getting in and it creates a huge value, not only for the developers, but also for the users and the people who are building to make the game successful. So that, Again, value sharing, not only from the main company, but also from the creators and the users is what makes Web3 and, and this blockchain technology extremely powerful. My next question came down to trying to understand a bit more about Web3.0 and how Crypto.com are embracing that and what the impact of that's going to be for your business, but for all of us as well. So just can you just give, there's a lot of people out there that, that have heard this term, you know, that's been spoken about, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, Stephen Bartlett, they're going, yeah, Web3.0 is the future. But a lot of people are like, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up with Web 2.0. So just tell me a bit about that, please. For sure. Um, maybe let's start with Web 2. I think the big item in Web 2 is that the users are the product. They don't benefit from the growth of the network. The Web 2 companies does, and sometimes the advertisers does. But the user does not get any part, any value from it. If you move to Web 3 and you use cryptocurrencies, NFTs, you can see that as you build these new opportunities, users, also creators, also people who are helping the ecosystem to grow, they all get a share of that value. And it's a lot more fair and a lot more equitable across the value chain of the participants. I think that's the big difference. And you see it in gaming, where people actually can earn uh, cryptocurrency and can use the value that they've created within the game through NFT representing items, for example. So that's, that's a big difference. Sharing that value more equitably 
whether you are a user, a creator, or a developer. Now, when we start thinking about a business like yours, typically a fast-growing fintech type of business would go on fundraise after fundraise after fundraise, then focus on an IPO in the future. Mm -hmm. That would be a kind of standard Classic. journey, yeah? Is that the journey that you guys are on? Not really. We haven't had any fundraising yet. Um, so that's <laughs> been an interesting part of our journey. And I think one of the key differentiators that allows us to make bold decisions, to invest where we see opportunities, and to take long-term bets. It's very hard, and maybe one day we will be uh, a you know, publicly listed company, to navigate the quarterly earnings, be able to take those long-term bets and manage the short-term requirements of the streets. That being said, as we're regulated across the globe, the globe we have certifications uh, on security, on, on data privacy. We're building a company that is mature enough to be listed. Uh, we're preparing for it, uh, but we don't need to do it. So that might happen at some stage in the future, but it's not a requirement right now. And you've not done a fundraise either. No. We and you have massive growth that's happened. I mean, you told me earlier on the growth of employees, the growth of customers. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Did the founders come in and invest billions of dollars? Did they just drop a couple of billion in there and say, this is where we start from the beginning? Or did it start from something much more organic than that? So in the early days, we had a, an ICO. Uh, and there was yeah. about 20 million that was uh, raised at that time. Uh, so that was kind of a community-driven uh, initial seed money, which is maybe material for seed in, in, in these days. But that was, that, was, that was it. And then we created a business that was sustainable. That generated revenue and cash flow. And we had the chance also of the industry growing very fast and having a, a good product that people liked and they kept using it and we grow the, the business and we're able to fund growth of employees, uh, investment in partnership, in branding, uh, and also just building better products for, for customers. Okay, understood. Now let's talk about the, the, the fact that this brand is everywhere. You've, you, you must have a strategy around where you're putting your money. You know, we've seen the Staples Arena now being changed to the Crypto.com Arena. We've got Formula One being sponsored, as we've mentioned. We've got UFC. Um, uh, tell me where else that your name is right now. I saw, I saw, I not only saw it on Formula One, I saw it on Formula One, a car as well as I saw it as a title sponsor. I think okay. it was on the Aston Martin. Aston Martin, definitely. So it's on the Aston Martin as well. Um, at UFC, every time someone goes to the corner, you're there right in the, right in the middle of it. And then, and then also, I believe the World Cup uh, is, is the next Correct. big event that you're sponsoring. How do you, first of all, how do you choose? Uh, and secondly, it, is this a, just a massive branding exercise or is there some meat on the bones behind it? That's a great question. So for us, as you may have realized, we're trying to build something that would last for decades. And we think brand is critical. And creating a brand, a top 10 tree brand like a Nike or an Apple is going to be the, the core of what we are. It's not about getting our name out there. It's about creating an emotional connections with our customers and having them understand what we stand for as a business and connect to that. And so we're spending a, a lot of time and thinking in terms of how do we explain what we're trying to build here, providing these opportunities, creating the infrastructure, the tool, the product, so people can get more value out of this ecosystem that is being built. Web3, you mentioned. How do we connect and empower people to go on and build up on top of these opportunities and partake? Um, that's what we're trying to convey with our brands. And we need to find partners that have that global reach, uh, or at least large enough reach, 
uh, with fan base that connect to us to a certain extent and our values and have some alignment of, of minds with, with the, the founders of those brands. Uh, so we can work together and grow the industry. Uh, again, growing the pie. And that's why we went initially very much with global brand, large audiences, 500 million audience, a billion uh, you know, people watching some of these sports. Uh, that, that really helped to get the message out and to explain also to people what we stand for. There's only, there's only one brand that I remember that's done mm. something similar, and they're here, it's Emirates Airlines. Mm. They've, they've taken that approach as well with kind of global sport. And so Formula One is global, UFC is global. What, why, why the Staples Arena or the Crypto.com Arena? What, what, why was that chosen? Because that's mm. a US inner city based arena. There are many, you know, there's Wembley, there's the, you know, the Maracanã Stadium in, in Brazil. There's many of these. So, so why was that chosen? What difference did that make? Mm. Retrospectively, when I look at it, this is probably the partnership we made that drove the most mainstreamization of our name and the industry. It was incredible. It so happened to be in, in, Las, in Los Angeles and uh, being a, a stadium. It is an iconic place, not only in the US, but also outside. The coverage that we got, the people having their mother and grandmother calling them uh, across the globe about what is crypto.com, what is this stadium renaming, was incredible. Much beyond just the city. It, was, it had a global impact. It was a signal that the industry is becoming more mainstream. Uh, and that was extremely powerful. Not sure we anticipated how big it would be, really? but that was the, the intent. Yeah. That, so it was that big? It was, it, it was the biggest one you knew, from my you, perspective. You, and you couldn't have predicted that when you were thinking it through? Not as big. My goodness. Yeah. See, that was the one that I would, have th I, I would have thought was the anomaly as opposed to the one that was really the kind of like the... the... It, was, it was incredible. It, it, it was a moment where everywhere, all the medias, people from all generations felt this crypto thing is actually in our life now. That was the moment. Yeah, that's really important, that getting that connection. You know, I've been in, 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 the, in the financial services industry for many years, and I, I'm always blown away by how many people will put their money with a brand and a logo of a bank or an investment firm just because they feel safe and comfortable. Mm. You know, it could be the Barclays, the Lloyds, the HSB. Well, it's with HSB, nothing will go wrong for goodness sake. And I would sit down and say, that's not the best decision you could have made. You could have made better decisions, but they trust that brand. And I think this really leans into what you're doing here at the end of the day. You're trying to build that brand so that people think of you guys first, think of you as the safe and secure place to go when it comes to making their decisions in the digital space. And hopefully they think of us as a bold company that is empowering people who make tough decisions, go against the norm and, and deliver value. Uh, I think there's one thing I would like to add. It's not just about having the name out there. It's also embedding yourself with that brand, with that sport, creating unique moments and where your, your, your name appears and it's connected to something special in that sport. It's a very niche example. We were, uh, we were sponsoring the Italian league uh, of soccer. And each time there is, a, a, there is a kind of maybe a penalty or a very critical foul, but it's not sure. There is the video that is being used. We appear at that moment where it may be a goal, it may not be a goal. It's a critical moment in the sport and we're there. Um, so embedding yourself within that sport, an important moment that shows 
our values, uh, the bravery of some, some of the players, whether they're let's say a goalie or, or an attacker, this is quite critical. It's not just about the, the brand name being there, it's about embedding yourself, creating activation and connecting with all the sports fans or the, the fans of that brand uh, at that moment. It, those memorable moments, isn't it? So that right. they, you know, those things that have happened in sport over the years. I remember that I was there on that day, and you guys are part of that Correct. little experience. Yeah, I get it now. It makes sense. I'm no marketing genius, but uh, there's, there's, there should be a book written by you guys on the, uh, how to go about building a brand and, and getting it into the hearts and minds of people. So with crypto, investing comes cost. You know, if I buy Ethereum so that I can then go buy my NFT, I've got to pay gas fees. And I'm reading a lot and learning about the fact that, that, that buying crypto means there's a lot of energy being used, you know, a little bit like, like, like with, with Tesla and cars. There's a lot of like, well, you're still burning fossil fuels to make the batteries in the first place, say certain people, which, which is, I suppose, fair comment. How do you guys deal with that? How, as a business, how do you try to mitigate that? And, and how responsible do you have to be as a business? to consider the environment and the future? That's a great question. I think on our side, first of all, we see ourselves as a company, as a role to play to reduce the energy consumption or the carbon emission in general. And we uh, announced, I think it was last year, that we would become a carbon negative company by the end of this year. We're working towards that goal. I think that's the first thing. Second, you need to look at the industry. Um, some of the blockchains out there are having a bit more impact uh, in um, the energy consumption. Bitcoin and Ethereum are probably the main two because they use what we call proof of work. You need to consume some energy, resolve some um, mathematical problems, compute basically, yeah. to show that you are a legitimate actor and you can validate those transactions. That's how you prove it. Yeah. And that costs energy. Uh, that's why for us, we are looking also at alternatives, mm -hmm. different type of blockchains. And we launched two blockchains, in particular the last one called Kronos, that does not require this proof of work and still is able to be decentralized and validate transaction. And the impact compared to Bitcoin, for example, is about 100,000 less uh, in terms of carbon emission. It's huge. Wow. So I think as an industry, we also need to look at alternatives for different use cases uh, that are less energy uh, you know, consume less energy. Okay, got it. And then finally, I would say, we need to step back a little bit also. Uh, if we look at crypto and Bitcoin and Ethereum consumption, it's 0.2-0.3% of carbon emissions globally. So it's, it's, a, it's something that we need to make an effort on and we need to find ways to bring new technology that impact less the environment, but it's a small part of carbon em emission. And for us as a company, we want to tackle the energy challenge and we want to reduce carbon emission. So we're in the midst of setting up a foundation that will invest in technology that can help capture carbon and, and reduce this emission overall. And I think it's very important for us to be able to act as a role model, to help the industry with new technology, more green technology, and also help the world uh, with our humble contribution by investing in technology that reduce carbon emission. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I find a lot of the time people will make a big song and dance They'll say, yeah, it's doing this and it's doing that and that's bad here and it's bad for a million different reasons. But yet they'll completely neglect everything else that goes on. You know, the carbon emissions in involved in making clothing, you know, the, the carbon emissions. Doing that a Google search, for example, you don't know how much it costs and there's a lot of data center in the background. You know, and getting money from your traditional bank, ATMs, etc. All these 
have huge impact also. Um, so. We need, we, we need to talk about that for a second because that's really interesting. I was going into a more analog way, but that's really interesting. So, so nobody thinks twice about going and doing a Google search but they, because they don't think about what's behind at the data centers that have to be run that are using all of that. Yeah, that, that's so important. For sure. People aren't putting that together. The world works on energy consumption. That yeah. is how we are powering all this innovation and progress for humanity. So you have to make good use of the energy and preserve it. I think that's critical. And whether it's crypto, whether it's fintech, whether it's any other industry, how do we you know, protect the emission, especially on the carbon front, which is still the majority of the, the one that is impacting the, the, the greenhouse emission? And how do we make just best use of the energy that we have in this world? It's not a crypto thing. It's you know, every industry you imagine thinks through it. If somebody did a, a, a survey and they studied how much carbon emission was being used on ATMs versus how much carbon emission was being used by, by crypto businesses, and that was proven <laughs> to be less than they were using crazy, everyone would quite a quiet and down, wouldn't they? For sure. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's a real takeaway for me for this conversation today. All right, good. Let's talk about this fast-growing city of Dubai. You came over here, you've seen it for the first time. You come from Singapore, which is kind of like the, the, the Asia version of, of Dubai. We, they're, they're brother and sister in many ways. Mm. You're gonna set up a business here, you're gonna be growing a business here. Is that business that you grow here gonna be based in Dubai, solely responsible for the UAE, or, are you, or is that to take over expanding through the Middle East and anywhere else for that matter? We, we have MENA as our term over here, don't we? Middle East and North Africa, so are you MENA, you know? <laughs> We're very MENA. Uh, but more seriously, I think Dubai, first of all, is really a place where we see the government and the different stakeholders pushing for innovation to happen, embracing Web3, DeFi, and all this blockchain technology. It's very clear there's a strong willingness from the top to invest and create opportunities uh, in the UAE and for the world. We recognize that and we want to create a place here that will um, manage as a kind of say, regional hub office, not only UAE, but also the Middle East and Africa from Dubai. So we're building offices, we're recruiting talent, we're thinking of how we can contribute in terms of training and education in the space. And we're investing also in building that knowledge base. Uh, that's why we're funding partner of Investopia here uh, in Dubai uh, for the next 14 months and you know, bringing some of our global knowledge, best practices, and uh, bringing it to Dubai and learning and growing together. Mm, good point. When you think about Africa as well, it, it reminds me a bit of the, the kind of the, the, the El Salvador example. And so you have a country that decided to take Bitcoin on as its main currency. You see uh, Zimbabwe, that went from the Zim dollar, that then, then it became worthless and it had to go to the US dollar. And you see Nigeria, for example, with the Naira. People within Africa buying crypto has surely got to be one of the safest bets by comparison that they can make when it comes to real money. And so whoever's in there doing the best job of building relationships and, and, and building commerce there is surely going to have a, uh, an advantage over the competitors that are in that space. Africa's huge, isn't it? I think we underestimate Africa. It, it is, and to your point, we discuss about this inflation problem. I think in some of uh, emerging markets, some in Africa, not all countries, and, and, and in other parts of the world, in Latin America in particular, the inflation is real. It's not six, seven percent that we're experiencing today in the Western world, uh, which is you know nothing. It could be 20, 40, 50 percent, and sometimes, as you mentioned, Zimbabwe, it could be even more than that. 
that inflation is real for people. And having a hedge uh, against that inflation, even if it's a partial part of your portfolio, is, is critical uh, for your future, for the future of your kids. So it, it does play a big role. Uh, also for commerce, crypto is very um, cheap and easy to transfer uh, as a remittance currency. Uh, so that is also very useful when you want to do this uh, regional uh, transfers between businesses, trade finance. A lot of initiatives are being developed uh, yeah. in that space. That's really interesting too. Trade finance, I don't think that's talked about as much. Well, I went to Rwanda last week mm. where I was building a, a playground in a school. Okay, And Rwanda has been uh, through a genocide but then developed itself really well, I think, as an African country over the years. Mm. But when I, was, when I was coming, they said, bring dollars, you'll exchange it into Rwandan francs when you arrive. If you bring new US dollars, you'll get a better exchange rate than if you bring old US dollars. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? It means those dollars are actually non-fungible. <laughs> one dollar is different from another. Yeah. A little bit like an hashtag. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But I spend a lot of time uh, every year working out what I can do and what my staff can do within our business mm. to try and do something positive and try and give back in our own way. Now, Crypto.com is a massive organization. What kind of plans do you have to... to to be a business that cares about the environment, but more so cares about the community, cares about people and the well-being of their futures. Yeah, I think first of all, we want to make sure we deliver on our mission to really create these new Web3 opportunities where that value can be shared across communities, not only from one company, but to all the participants. I think that's the foundation and we'll clearly continue to focus until we've delivered there. At the same time, everywhere we operate and sometimes beyond, we want to have an impact, positive impact on communities. And that's why we're working and setting up a, a foundation that will work on these topics, not only uh, on the climate impact, which we discussed before, but also uh, to help communities around financial literacy, education, and supporting locally um, initiatives to help people there. Um, not that long ago, we supported an initiative in Singapore uh, for low-income workers as an industry. It was called FinTech for Good, and we contributed uh, we are trying to support also what's happening to the people in Ukraine uh, through uh, humanitarian help. And we're having a, sometimes at the Oscar, and we use our TV spots just for that, uh, just to see how we can help people donate and we'll match their donation uh, to help people in, in distress in that part of the world. And we'll do that across the globe through our foundation, uh, climate, financial education, literacy, and helping communities where we can. In summary, we've got this fast-growing company that's taken on gazillions of clients, is employing gazillions of employees, is growing exponentially, but is trying to do something to take care of the world as well. Oh, come on, there's got to be some cracks in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> it, so, it, it sounds so good to see that you're doing this and it's not just a kind of like a me, me, me type of selfish business approach. I really commend all of your efforts. Genuinely, I do. It's... Um, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we have great people and they share our values and they want to give back and they want to do things right for people, customers and the world at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what helps us deliver and, and grow and have some positive impact. I, I could sit and talk to you for the next two or three hours. You're a fascinating guy. But, uh, but for now, thank you so much for giving me your time, Eric. I really appreciate it. No, thanks a lot for having me. Well, did you enjoy that? I certainly did. 
What a great guy Eric is. So many key takeaways from an interview like that. I mean, just think about a business that's been going for just over four years that has gone from zero to a million and then to 10 million clients. And their goal by the end of this year or next, 100 million clients. Just think about that. I mean, I don't know any business that has had that kind of growth that quickly. Super impressive and so much to take away from what Eric said, understanding how that business is growing, understanding the NFT space, understanding how gaming is gonna be part of it in such a big way too. I really enjoyed talking to Eric. I learned so much. I hope you got some key takeaways from it too. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. If you're listening to this on iTunes right now, then leave us a five-star rating or in any other podcast app. Do me a favor, leave us some love. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. What guests do you want on the show? The more love and feedback you can give me means the more that this podcast gets spread to other people around the world. So go on, give us some love. Leave us a five-star rating. You know you want to.